So we're looking at a series this summer um, of encounters with different people in the book of Mark that Jesus had. And tonight we're looking at someone called Levi. It's in Mark chapter 3, um, verses 13, if you've got a Bible with you. If not, the words will appear on the screen. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' ministry has begun with noise and excitement. It seems that he can't really go anywhere without a crowd, without a buzz. His teaching is astounding enough, but he's also been healing people, setting them free from demons. What is this, they say? A new teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Crowds are coming to him from everywhere. His house is full to brimming, so much so that as we heard last week, people are taking apart his roof to get to him. Jesus has no shortage of people who are intrigued, who are captivated, or who seem to want to follow him. Our story begins with this typical scene. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And then, right next to it, another typical scene, that despite being surrounded by hordes of people, Jesus singles out just one person, and true to form, it's the person that no one was expecting. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Now, this follow me wasn't simply an invitation to join the crowd. Jesus wasn't inviting Levi on a day trip. This was a personal, specific invitation into a specific kind of life. It was the call of a rabbi. Now, in order to understand what Jesus is doing here, we're going to take a quick whistle-stop tour through the journey of becoming the disciple of a rabbi, (laughs) if you'll come with me. So, um, Jewish boys would attend Torah school in the synagogue um, from the ages of about six or so, where they would memorize the entire Torah, which is this much of the Bible here, that whole thing, by the age of about 13. But then by the age of about 13, the keenest ones, um, the ones who really knew their defiling molds, would be encouraged to stay in school past the age of 13, when everyone else would go off to learn a trade, so fishing or making tables. From then on, they're not just learning the law, um, but they're learning how to interpret the law. They already know the law inside out. They are pupils learning to analyze and pull apart and nitpick at the details of the law. By late teens, it's time to apply to become the disciple of a rabbi. Now, this isn't a choice to be made lightly because 
being the disciple of a rabbi isn't a part-time role. It's a whole life's calling. It's an entrance into a life of utter devotion to your teacher. You wouldn't just be learning what they know. You'd be learning how to live by observing the way that they lived, the way they interpret God's words and actions, their choices and their speech. And your goal would to be become like your rabbi, to go where they go, to do what they do. Doug Greenwald says, the rabbi was the matrix, the filter, the grid through which every life issue flowed, as well as the lens through which every life issue was viewed. If you made it to this point, you'd have a choice of a few different rabbis who were around, but once you'd applied, maybe you'd get in or maybe you wouldn't, maybe your application would be impressive enough but maybe it wouldn't, and maybe even after all of these rigorous years of study, you'd be joining your father, hauling in fishing nets, picking grain, or mending roofs. There may have been a few of these potential disciples who had heard about this new rabbi in town, whose interpretation of the law was unlike anything they'd ever heard before. Perhaps there were a few of them in this crowd following Jesus, wondering maybe, just maybe, if I can get close enough, if I could just have a conversation, I could show him that I know enough and I could become a disciple of this rabbi. But being part of this crowd, there's very few who can even get near him, let alone close enough for a conversation. But suddenly Jesus stops by the tax booth and Assuming that there's still a crowd around him, because there usually was, there may have been jeering at this point, because here sat a hated man, Levi, the tax collector. It's likely that the crowd would have been kind of excited that Jesus was about to give this guy like a proper talking to. So the crowd falls silent, waiting to hear what's going to happen, but Jesus doesn't start rebuking him or condemning him or even imploring him to change his ways. Jesus says the two words every potential disciple longs to hear. The two words that mean you've made it. That all your hard work and your study have paid off. You are qualified. You are acceptable. Follow me. Now, it was strange enough that Rabbi Jesus didn't take formal applications for discipleship. His disciples were those who he had chosen. This is massively unusual. And then he didn't even choose to take them from among those who would be qualified to be disciples. He wasn't searching around the synagogues. He was searching on the beaches. He seemed to be choosing normal, simply educated tradesmen. The guys that had failed to make it into higher education. Um, a rabbi with fishermen as disciples. This was unheard of. But choosing fishermen is nothing compared to the utter scandal of choosing this man sitting at the tax booth. Levi was a traitor to his own people. He worked a corrupt job of collecting taxes from the Jews to give to the Romans. To make matters worse, he'd charge an extortionately high amount so that he could pocket the difference. Despised and rejected, sitting here at the scene of his crime unmistakably an outcast, unavoidably the wrong person to choose if you're a good rabbi looking for someone righteous. And yet here Levi finds himself being offered an outrageous invitation of 
total acceptance. Jesus didn't ask Levi to sort his life out, to become a good citizen, to recite the Jewish law from memory. There are no penalties, there are no demands, there is nothing he needs to do. Except for this one thing, to follow. Levi had two options in that moment, to stay there in the tax booth and let Jesus pass him by, or to get up, leave everything, and become quite inexplicably without any of the usual qualifications, the disciple of Jesus, the rabbi. And he rose and followed him. If you are a follower of Jesus, his call to you is no less intentional than it was in that moment for Levi. Jesus stopped, picked you out of a crowd, and said, follow me. You weren't qualified to be his disciple. You never could have been. You weren't qualified to untie the straps from his sandals, but he chose you. He invited you to come and be with him. And in being with him, to become like him. Jesus says in Luke 6, everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Later that evening, Jesus is eating dinner in Levi's house. Uh, quite a strange day for Levi, I imagine. Also, in attendance to this dinner is kind of the who's who of the most outcast people in the area. We read, as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. It's likely that Levi has invited Jesus to his house and then invited all his friends to come. Um, but Levi's only friends were probably tax collectors and sinners uh, because no one wanted to be with him. So this is probably kind of a rabble. Um, the sinners that are listed can be anything from those who just simply didn't follow the Jewish law to the extent that the Pharisees did or the most outcast of society those who would be spat at in the street, those who were entirely rejected. In this society, to eat with someone wasn't simply to associate with them, it was to demonstrate an intimate level of friendship and acceptance. For Jesus to be in the house of this man, with this man's friends, was totally shocking behaviour. I wonder how Levi felt bringing his new rabbi into this chaotic environment on day one. <laughs> But I'd actually hazard a guess that because Levi knew that he had been met with profound acceptance from Jesus, that he felt comfortable bringing Jesus into the mess of his life. Namely here, his rogue friendship group. Uh, um, it's really interesting what Rick brought earlier. Um, because I've been thinking about how that when we know Jesus accepts us, we can let him into the messiest parts of our lives. And I often find that the main reason I'm reluctant to let people in to messy parts of my life is that I'm fearful that they will reject me. So it's probably the same with you. And it's the same with us and God. But when we know that there is nothing we can be honest with him about that he will reject us for, we are free to be ourselves with him. And if that relates to you, then he's clearly trying to speak to you because it's basically <laughs> the same thing that Rick said. Some Pharisees, who are like the religious elite of that day, 
um, had heard about this party. It's unlikely that they were at the party because they probably wouldn't have been seen with these people, but they heard about it because they liked hearing about stuff. Um, and they asked Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, why has he accepted tax collectors and sinners? Because to eat with them was to accept them. These the most unrighteous people. The Pharisees were people who thought that they were doing pretty well when it came to living up to God's standards. They lived in scrupulous adherence to the Jewish law and then also to countless other laws that had been added by the Jews since. They were trying to create for themselves maximum holiness. It's interesting that the, the word Pharisee actually comes from the root, like to separate or divide. They had separated themselves from everything that they deemed unclean, but ended up separating themselves from a lot else as well. In the Pharisees' thinking, there were two types of people, righteous and unrighteous. They were righteous, and they were not at the party. And all of these people in Levi's house were unrighteous. And they wanted to know why this teacher, this miracle-working supposed man of God, would accept these, the most unrighteous of people. Jesus must have heard this question to the disciples because he um, answers on their behalf. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what Jesus isn't saying here is, you guys are fine, so I'm going to focus on this lot who aren't righteous. I've come to help these guys who aren't doing as well as you. Because we know that the Bible tells us that there is no one who's doing well on their own. It says none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And that includes these Pharisees. So what is he saying? Um, What he's saying is, if you think you are righteous without me, I can't help you. If you don't know that you're sick, you won't come and see a doctor. Jesus' criteria isn't the same as the Pharisees. His distinction is not between righteous and unrighteous, but between those who know they need a saviour and those who think that they are good enough to get in by their own efforts. If you read through the Gospels, you'll often find Jesus among those who know that they need him most. Jesus never really engages with people according to their righteousness but rather according to their response to him in that moment, to their faith. I was thinking of the the woman at the well who begged Jesus for this drink that would mean she'd never be thirsty again. And his gracious response to her um, and the sinner woman weeping at Jesus' feet, accepted by him while Simon the Pharisee was rebuked. I think about Peter falling on his knees, saying, away from me, I'm a sinful man. And then later saying, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus doesn't ask, how holy are you? How well have you done? His question is, will you follow me? How willing are you to surrender to me? 
Levi responded to Jesus' call. He was willing to leave everything behind for Jesus. And so he got in. The Pharisees weren't willing. And so they remained outside. Jesus isn't more relaxed about sin than the Pharisees. This acceptance isn't a wishy-washy tolerance. He didn't close his eyes to the mess around him and decide that it wasn't so bad, really. No one at this party could have imagined the price that Jesus was going to pay to make it possible for him to be there. No one could have imagined the extent that he would go to to be able to look you and me in the eye and say, follow me. We weren't qualified but he qualified us by his perfect record. We were on the outside of the party, but he came outside to bring us in. We were unacceptable before the Father, but on the cross, his rejection on our behalf was so utterly, terribly complete that now our acceptance is so wonderfully, gloriously secure. I'd like you to close your eyes for a second and... Remember a time that you knew that Jesus was saying, follow me. Or if you haven't had that time, then imagine it now. Um, Maybe it was when you first started following him, but maybe you don't really remember that or you were too young. Maybe it was a time since then, but just remember what it was like then when it seemed so obvious that you would drop everything around you and follow that it seemed totally worth it, that you were utterly convinced that you were loved, that it was going to be okay, that Jesus had everything in hand, that there was nothing that you needed to do to get in. You can open your eyes. His call to you is still the same today. The way that this all started is the way that it carries on. Jesus didn't call you so that he could give your attempts at righteousness a little boost. He came when you needed a doctor, when you needed a saviour. He accepted you just as you were there and then, surrounded like Levi by the contents of your own rebellion, and he said, follow me. He hasn't added any new requirements since then. He's not asking any more of you now than what he asked of Levi that day. We were qualified by his call on day one. We are as in need of his grace and as dependent upon his righteousness now as we were on day one. And he delights to give us that grace. He wasn't obliged to call Levi. Could have walked straight past him. Levi didn't beg and plead or twist Jesus' arm to let him in. Jesus chose him. He looked him in the eye and chose him to follow him. He could have picked his, he could have had his pick of dinner invitations that evening. Any one of that crowd would have been honoured to have this Jesus in their home. But Jesus chose to go to Levi's for a party. Jesus is pleased that he chose you. He isn't surprised by the ways that you're struggling. He isn't impatient with your mistakes. He feels just as sure of his decision today as that first day that he looked you in the eye and said, follow me. I accept you.
how often I forget this, and again, probably all of us, how often I wonder if it's about time that I started looking a little bit more impressive on my own. There will never be anything impressive about us apart from Jesus. We live under a constant, relentless torrent of grace. His mercies are new every morning because we need new mercies every morning. He keeps calling us. He keeps inviting us. And we're becoming like our rabbi. We who have the spirit have more than his behavior to observe because we have the mind of Christ. We is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in us. The same way that Jesus consistently invites us to be with him, we too can consistently invite others in to come and be with us. Expecting nothing of people except to be loved. I've been struck by how natural this story is. So easy to read it and think, oh, I really need to be doing more, spending time with people who aren't like me, spending time with people who don't know Jesus. But that's not really the vibe of this passage. It is easy in this passage. Jesus calls Levi, Levi calls others, and they have a party. So if you feel like you really should be working harder to spend time with people who aren't Christians, then um, look at the ease of it here. Chris, can I invite you up? And the rest of the band as well, yeah. (laughs) What was I going to do with Chris? I think that for some of us, God is inviting us to take in a deep breath of grace. To remember that God isn't judging us on our performance, but judging us according to the cross. And the cross hasn't changed. We're secure. We're accepted. We're loved. This life isn't an attempt to become ever more qualified, but to become more like our rabbi, by being with him. And for others, maybe Jesus is reminding us again that a life with him means a life of surrender, of the things that we try and hold on to. Levi couldn't have been half of a disciple, couldn't have said, oh, think about it. You have got some good teaching, so I'll try and apply it to my life. Like I'm free on Saturdays, so I'll see you then. Jesus is calling us into a life with him. Walking step by step with him. So for those who feel like they keep popping back to the tax booth, a life with Jesus is better. It is the best life. We're going to worship now and then we'll see what we want to do.